Hello and welcome to Switch Your Money On. I'm Susanna Streeter, the Head of Money and Markets here at Hargreaves Lansdowne. And as usual, I'm with Sarah Coles, the Head of Personal Finance. So, Sarah, we've been trying and failing to meet up for an evening out over the past month and something is always getting in the way in our rather crazy schedules. Yes, you know, as ever, the kids always say this, but the kids have so much of a better social life than I do. We'll be organising virtual drinks just like pandemic times if we're not careful. Yes, although it, you know, it does feel distinctly like we're not alone. I think staying in, starting to feel like the new going out. I suppose, yes, the ongoing squeeze on budgets isn't really helping, despite the reprieve we've had with interest rates being kept, of course, on hold in September. I mean, inflation might be heading in the right direction, but prices are still rising and it's certainly not cheap to get around in, in many city centres. <laughs> yes. Plus, of course, many alcoholic drinks have gone up in costs since August. So that's after new tax prices were introduced on most tipples, except for low alcohol drinks and fears. So excuse to drink fears. Yes, always a good excuse, Sarah. It has, though, been tough for hospitality of late with the pub operators dealing with mounting payroll costs fueled by those ongoing staff shortages. It seems two pubs a day disappeared in the first half of this year. A pretty sorry statistic. And those that remain have little choice but to pass on the costs. So if more people do tighten belts and stay home more instead of going to the pub in the months to come, who could be the winners instead? Well, that's what we're looking at in today's episode, which we're calling Home Games. We'll be focusing on the streaming services and gaming giants who may be poised to benefit if more people choose the sofa over the bar stool. And Docky Tops is here. He's the founder and CEO of cloud game streaming service Utomic to tell us what life is like at the sharp end. Docky, is this an exciting time for the gaming industry? Yes, yes. I've been in it for uh, almost 20 years now and it's always been exciting. But I think now it's really getting into a transformation uh, with cloud gaming and uh, also the subscription gaming, all the things that you guys were talking about, actually. Well, it's going to be really interesting to dive deeper into this with you a little bit later in the podcast, Oki. We'll also have a chat to Sophie Landyates, our lead equity analyst, about the companies she's watching. Plus, we'll hear from Emma Wall, our head of investment analysis and research from a funds perspective. But first... There was a sigh of relief that the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee did decide to keep rates on hold at their last meeting at 5.25%. Although it's still going to be pretty tough for companies and consumers as interest rates are expected to stay higher way into 2024, with the bank saying it can't be complacent even though inflation is coming down. Yes, I mean, we haven't even felt the full effect of previous rate hikes yet. And our HL Savings and Resilience Barometer showed that people are really struggling with their financial resilience and they're building problem debts. The hospitality industry is worried about the effect of recent tax increases on alcohol, which came in in August. Pub and wine bar owners say they've already had to deal with some really crippling effects of inflation and the extra tax just adds to their problems at a time when they're seeing fewer customers coming into their venues. But even if more people shun the pub for a place on the sofa or gaming chair, it doesn't necessarily mean it's plain sailing for streaming services and video games manufacturers. Competition for hard-earned pounds and pennies is intense and the trimming of household expenditures is set to continue. It's been a challenging time for companies running streaming services. So the writers and actors strike caused production of films and TV series to grind to a halt. And that's at a time when content is considered king and it's hugely important to compete against rivals for eyes on screen. There are signs the disputes are drawing to an end and the prospect of film sets whirring into life again in Hollywood is now on the horizon. And things are looking up for the gaming industry too after a more challenging 2022. And this year... 
3.4 billion players around the world are expected to get stuck into online games. More than $187 billion in revenue is expected to be generated right across the industry this year, representing growth of 2.6% year-on-year. And console games are driving the lion's share of revenues, and that's despite all the economic headwinds whipping around the world at the moment. The UK games industry is a real success story too, with game sales growing to £4,664 million in 2022. Around 80% of studios are micro-businesses, but there are real opportunities to scale up, and the announcement of a £5 million content fund on top of the UK's Games Fund is designed to provide the funding to help studios develop. So this feels like a good time to bring back Jockey Tops, founder and CEO of Utomic. So Jockey, can you introduce us a bit to cloud game streaming? Uh, yeah, I'll try to keep it really simple. You run the game on a server, so it's not on your laptop or on your TV actually, and then it streams the video and the sound to the user. So essentially it's like a video stream of a game, but it's real time. Does that make sense? It certainly does in my house, Docky, because uh, my boys are particularly interested in uh, cloud games. Uh, but they do get frustrated when the broadband, they say, is not up to scratch and it causes glitches. Is that a bit of a problem? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think that has been a challenge for cloud gaming over the years, but I think we've now reached a point where it can still happen, but the user experience uh, is very, very good. Uh, we measure this. I can't give exact details but well over 90% of all streams, people say that they experience it as good. Um, but it does, of course, uh, depend on the market that you are in. So presumably the, the big advantage for people um, is that, you know, they a lot more access to a lot more games. I mean, can you explain a little bit about the structure of, of how it's paid for and funded? Yes. So cloud gaming, we, uh, Utomic runs a subscription business where you can even get cloud gaming for eight quid a month. And then you can play on your mobile TV and PC. And then the cost structure is you get 1400 games, unlimited access. You have different models depending on companies. Some companies you just pay for streaming. So essentially you still need to own the game and then you can play it basically on another platform such as Steam or the Epic Game Store. Or you can have some of the free-to-play games, which are kind of free, but if you want to get the nice suits and all the nice-looking stuff, then you have to start paying. And for cloud gaming, essentially the business model is that you, as a business, you have to pay for the usage of the servers. And that has always been the challenge for cloud gaming because you're running essentially a high-end game on a server and that needs to be paid for as well. But the big benefit is that you can use that hardware for multiple users and then the cost of scale uh, really benefit you. But as we pointed out, the console game market still has the lion's share of uh, business right now. Where do you see growth opportunities, though? Because it still must be quite challenging right now, given the fact that some people are still cutting back because of the cost of living crisis. I think console will be on a relative decline. It could still grow, but as a percentage, if you look at cloud gaming, the forecast is that it will hit 8 billion by 2025 and 80 billion uh, by 2030 or roundabout. So that is a massive growth year on year, um, way beyond anything else in gaming. So yeah, I think the adoption of cloud gaming and TV gaming specifically um, we are currently partnered with LG and Samsung, 
and we're now at the early stages of adoption, but this will accelerate as the market research shows. Basically, you do not need a console to play high-end games on your TV. And I think there's a big market, and this is already happening in South America and Asia Pacific and India. All these markets will skip the console. They have a real head start on broadband, which means those people are introduced to gaming through cloud gaming or PC download. I think cloud gaming is where you want to be. And you can also see how Xbox and Microsoft is repositioning itself. Now, when it comes to AI, there is a lot of excitement around right now. Do you share in that excitement, particularly for your business? How much of a game changer could it be? I think AI for our business is mostly impacting uh, marketing. If you want to write a press release, if you want to write newsletters, you can get so many ideas. Or if you want to have like a please rewrite this newsletter for an older audience. You can ask it so many questions. In our development, it has an impact. So our programmers are using it. So they were immediately on board. And from a game development perspective, it's also starting to happen, but it's also leading to all kinds of conflict. I am creating something and the AI learns from that and uses that. And how does that work? That's an interesting time, but I'm really excited for it. And uh, really happy that quite a few people in our company started using it at an early stage because I do feel this is the future. Just finally, Loki, I just want to ask you for your take on the gaming industry in the UK. Just how healthy would you say it is? I really see that a lot of the UK publishers and developers are doing quite well. I have a high esteem of the uh, British gaming industry as a Dutch person. I really think it has a really great scale and great games. Doki, thank you so much. It's certainly going to be a really interesting industry to watch over the next few years, and we shall do just that. So thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Very welcome. It was really fun to do. There are, of course, plenty of listed companies in the business of home entertainment too. So let's bring in Sophie now for a dive into some of the companies operating in this space. So Sophie, what is it about gaming that's making it so popular right now? There are a couple of things, really, and one of the big ones is tech. So games are simply an awful lot better than they used to be in terms of user experience which ultimately you know makes them more attractive and then at the same time the pandemic left us all cooped up indoors and gaming was a way to either pass the time or connect with others in a social way without needing to go outside that is a habit that hasn't been kicked by all the newer gamers so the markets got bigger there are also more immersive and virtual social spaces than before and i'm of course talking about the metaverse and its huge opportunity yeah certainly a lot to dig into we could just talk about this the whole time but with all of that in mind and staying in the main theme let's also look at uh, the staying in implications for a company like Netflix what can you tell us about Netflix So yes, I have indeed been looking at Netflix. We can't really discuss staying in without looking at Netflix. So as our listeners will know, Netflix is a streaming giant and subscriptions skyrocketed during lockdowns. And now the group has repositioned itself to look at how to re-accelerate growth after the pandemic essentially stole membership from further down the line. Um, Now, streaming more generally is an incredibly exciting area. So looking at just the US... The share of screen time is now 37.7% streaming. That's up from 26% in 2021, with cable coming in second at 30.6%. Now, this is an interesting point to make because therein lies Netflix's biggest challenge. 
competition. And it's not just from streamers. You know, YouTube rakes in more revenue than Netflix does and actually has a higher share of streaming. YouTube content isn't just old school tutorials these days. It has a growing user base for a wide variety of audiences. Um, And for those listeners who may not know, I should point out that YouTube's owned by Google parent Alphabet. So competition is definitely something to watch, but it's not like Netflix is doing badly, is it? No, definitely not. So this is still a company with 238 million subscribers, with millions more being added each quarter. Netflix's reputation for strong and popular original content also really helps it to stay ahead. There are some intriguing growth levers that Netflix can pull too. And one is, surprise, gaming, um, which is an area that management has said it's keen to, to branch out into. And I think it's really exciting. But I will just flag that details have been very thin on the ground in terms of exactly what this might look like. The other thing Netflix is rolling out is an ad-supported tier and cracking down on password sharing. So these are both strong sources of extra income and come results due later in October and we'll get a better idea of exactly how these initiatives are going. So definitely a lot to watch. So you touched there on Netflix and gaming, but uh, what about a company which is even more focused on gaming? So I've been looking at Keywords Studios. So Keywords is essentially a one-stop shop service for the video gaming industry. And crucially, it's an outsourced supplier. So that means it's not on the hook, doesn't rely on the success of individual titles, which helps revenue to be a bit smoother than the more volatile wider industry, which sees ebbs and flows depending on how titles perform. That sounds good, but the valuations come under quite a bit of pressure lately, hasn't it? So why is that? It has. I mean, Keywords is now trading at a price to earnings ratio um, of about 14 compared to 28 on a 10 year average. Now, as a reminder, the forward price to earnings ratio looks at how much the market's prepared to pay for one pound of expected profits. Um, so sales have more than doubled in the last four years and operating profit you know, has come along for the ride. With organic growth now in low double digit territory, it's perhaps no surprise that investor enthusiasm has you know, retreated. At the same time, industrial Industrial action in the US is causing issues too. So by some estimates, up to 9% of keywords revenue is related to TV and film. So the strikes are likely causing a slowdown. There's also uncertainty about AI. So artificial intelligence is an integral part of today's gaming strategies, which creates opportunity for keywords as the market leader in its field. Um, But it also increases risks as there isn't a clear cut AI strategy from the group yet. I think the recent valuation sell-off has been overdone and there should be room for some upsides as long as performance comes in in line with expectations. But of course, this isn't guaranteed and there are a few unknowns swelling around. Okay, Sophie, thank you very much. Plenty of food for thought there. Well, now it's time to bring in Emma Wall, our Head of Investment Analysis and Research. She's been talking to James Dow, Manager of the Scottish American Investment Trust. Hi, James. Hi, Emma. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I am excellent, thank you. Yes, I was just chewing a curly whirly here before we started, so I'm feeling chipper. Now, for those people who are wondering why James is mentioning chewing a curly whirly, it's because we're talking about changing consumer habits. And that is consumers perhaps spending less money on those non-essentials. And we've designated a curly whirly an essential. So they are then instead spending money on what we call consumer staples or consumer defensive stocks. What are those companies, James, and why potentially? potentially is now the time that they might be looking more attractive versus things like consumer discretionary stocks. 
Those are the kinds of business where the products that they manufacture and sell are these kind of everyday items that we use in our lives. A classic example would be a company like Procter and Gamble. So it's making those head and shoulders shampoos, it's making those nappies, uh, detergents, those everyday use items. There's not a lot of discretion, unlike consumer discretionary sector. And whether you buy those or not, so it's the it's the very stable, staple nature of those items that, that makes those businesses what they are. And why then are we talking about them now? I'll give you a clue. It's that phrase that has affected us all, the cost of living crisis. Well, exactly. And so when investors are thinking about what's a good business to invest in right now, is now the right time? They're looking, particularly amongst the consumer names, about whether the the staples names might be a better place to be invested when consumer incomes are a bit under pressure than your more discretionary names. So your discretionary names like your house builders, your car makers and those kinds, when times are tough, people tend to pull back on those things. And although there are no guarantees, consumer staples also can give you some inflation hedge, can't they? Because they're more likely to pass on inflationary pressures to consumers. Yeah, exactly. And for the fund I manage, that's the prime reason why we own them is that across cycles, we have a high conviction that they have that pricing power. So even when times are tough, if fairy liquid goes up by three pence, the chances are you're going to still buy fairy liquid. You, you see a little bit of down trading sometimes into a private label or a supermarket offering, but the sums are quite small. And so typically you see the ability of these companies to raise prices, at least in line with inflation. So if you're looking for you know, a really solid stock that will keep sort of compounding away and grow, even in a time of high inflation, this is, this is a great place to be. Well, I suppose also these are the types of of companies and indeed products that aren't so impacted by some of the other shifts in sort of socioeconomic backdrop. So I mean things like working from home because that sort of seismic shift has impacted huge sectors of the market but I suppose working from home doesn't necessarily make any difference as to whether you're buying toothpaste or washing powder. Yes exactly. Now I will say my experience has been you do need to still be a bit careful. You can't sort of indiscriminately buy these names because there are trends always going on in the background, and this is particularly with a view to the long term, that can still impact those. So a classic example is, you know, when I started investing 20 years ago, um, one of the strongest names out there was um, Campbell's, as in Campbell's tinned soup. The tinned soup business has been in structural decline, actually, for some time. And so over the long term, you could have said, oh, inflation and pricing power, and it's immune to trends. But there are still trends that go on within the consumer staple sector. And there are no guarantees as ever with investing. But are there any particular companies in the portfolio that you think are doing this well? One of my favourites is uh, L'Oreal, the cosmetics company. Now cosmetics or shampoo or whatever is is a bit of a discretionary. I don't think it's a discretionary. I think it's a staple. But uh, I would put it in in the staples category, um, an everyday item. But they're brilliant in spotting the trends that are coming, how consumers are changing, package sizing, um, whatever it might be, and and being front of foot on those changes. They have this expression, um, which means seize whatever is new. This is a big part of their culture. 
That's a really interesting. Basically, just because you are a staple, don't rest on your laurels and you've got to be innovative. Absolutely. Even Warren Buffett has said, you remember he invested some years ago in um, Kraft and Kraft Heinz after the merger. And there's been a really disappointing investment for him. And he's been asked about that and what, what, what went wrong. And he said, well, I actually made a mistake. I falsely assumed that just the nature of the business, this would carry on forever. And I missed actually that even here, tastes and, and things are changing and the company haven't, hasn't kept up. So that, there's a great example of even you know, a legendary investor can get caught out by this. So really important to make sure you, you stay on the front foot and, and your companies are staying on the front foot. And then one other example for our listeners, L'Oreal and... Uh, I'd say Procter & Gamble, actually. It's a very long-standing company. People think, oh, it's really boring or whatever. But it's full of people who've you know, devoted their lives, believe it or not, to washing detergent and nappies and are really passionate about it. And they've got a really good track record, again, of thinking through, right, how is the consumer changing? Are we giving them the right thing? Should we be changing the, the formulation? Should we be changing the way that it's consumed? Should we be coming up with pods rather than powders? Personally, I have quite a high level of conviction that... However the world changes, Procter & Gamble is one of those companies that's going to be saying, right, let's, let's find the best product for the consumer going forward. James, thank you very much. Most welcome. Great to join you. That was Emma Wall there talking to James Dow, the manager of the Scottish American Investment Trust on Friday the 29th of September. And please remember, those are the views of the fund manager and are not individual stock recommendations. You're listening to Switch Your Money On from Hargreaves Lansdowne. And now to end this episode, we're going to power down our consoles and the TV and head down a greener alley of conversation. Yes, this week it was Good Money Week, so an annual event promoting sustainability in finance. So it was only fitting we bring in ESG analyst Laura Hoy for this week's sustainably themed stat of the week. Thank you, Sarah. It has been a super busy week for the ESG team. Uh, This is one of our favorite events of the year. So responsible investing looks different to everyone, but a recent survey of our clients showed that nearly 70% of them consider climate change as extremely or very important. That's really interesting, particularly given the recent announcement from number 10, suggesting climate change is no longer a top priority. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of people wrongly assume that the energy transition will only be a drag on the average person's bank account. But in many cases, the opposite is actually true. So, for example, delaying minimum energy efficiency requirements for rental properties by two years is expected to increase private renters' energy bills by about one billion pounds. Yes, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of all this backpedalling and whether investors start to reverse course on their opinions around sustainable investment. Yeah, there's no doubt that the government's position is a speed bump in the push to slow climate change, but it is unlikely to completely derail things. There's really been a clear shift in the public's mindset around responsible investing. Since 2020, the amount that UK investors have funneled into responsible investment funds has risen by 73%. And we're not just talking about younger investors. There's been strong demand from all ages. And that brings me to our stat of the week. As I mentioned, not so long ago, we asked our clients what they care most about in terms of responsible investing. Now, on the environmental side, there were two main themes that emerged as being the most important, with over 80% of respondents saying they were extremely or very important. So any guesses what they were? Pollution is a key one. Not sure exactly what the other one might be. Yeah, so you're absolutely right with the first one. The other one was deforestation. 
So I suppose that suggests that while companies might not see strict sustainability-based regulation coming down the pipeline, they will still have to answer to their investors. Yes, exactly. And that is crucial to keep in mind. Well, thank you, Laura, and to everybody else. Uh, Really interesting perspectives on not just, of course, uh, Good Money Week, but AI, gaming and staying in. Well, that is all from us for now. But before we go, we do need to remind you that this was recorded on October the 2nd, 2023, and all information was correct at the time of recording. Nothing in this podcast is personal advice. You should seek advice if you're not sure what's right for you. Unlike the security offered by cash, investments rise and fall in value, so you could get back less than you invest. Yes, this is not advice or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any investment. No view is given on the present or future value or price of any investment, and investors should form their own view on any proposed investment. And this hasn't been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research and is considered a marketing communication. Non-independent research is not subject to FCA rules prohibiting dealing ahead of research. However, HL has put controls in place, including dealing restrictions, physical and information barriers, to manage potential conflicts of interest presented by such dealing. You can see our full non-independent research disclosure on our website for more information. So all that's left is for me to thank our guests, Jockey, Laura, Sophie, Emma, James, and our producer, Elizabeth Hodson. Thanks so much for listening. We will, of course, be back again soon. Bye.